Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. There's something I got to talk about, though. There's something that just happened in the world that I have to talk about, and I didn't get to talk about it last week, and I don't want to seem irrelevant because I've waited two weeks now to talk about it, but I just wasn't here. And this thing, I mean, this was really, really important, and it's now kind of become known in some circles as the slap heard around the world. The slap, the major slap that happened two weeks ago at the Oscars. Some of you are saying, I don't know what you're talking about right now because you don't care about what Hollywood does anymore and you live your own life. And I kind of envy you for that, but at the same time, it was really entertaining to watch happen. So what happened was, is this comedian, Chris Rock, in case you by chance don't know who he is, Chris Rock came out and Chris Rock did what Chris Rock does. He told a joke and he made a joke about Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith. And Will Smith, what we see on the surface, what looks like happened, what it appears happened is that at first he was laughing. We don't know for sure what happened. We just see camera angles and everything or what was going on in someone's head. But it looks like at first Will Smith thought the joke was funny. Then he looks over to his wife and she did not find the joke funny. (laughs) And so Will Smith decides to then walk up on stage and he slaps Chris Rock. And then Chris Rock says something to the effect of, Wow, I was just, I had the slapped out of me by Will Smith, things I can't say in church. I'm just replaying this for those of you who haven't seen it or don't know about it. Then Will Smith went back to his seat and started yelling some other things that we cannot say in church. But this was a pretty dramatic scenario. And everybody has different opinions on what happened and who should have did what and blah, 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 blah. But there were two things about this moment that really stuck out to me that I think are applicable for Palm Sunday and where we are going today. And the, and the first, con- you're like, how does this tie into Palm Sunday? It just has to. It has to. Um, it, it, I, so uh, I had to find a way. No, I really think it does. This is, this is genuine. So it appears on the surface from what we can tell. And once again, we don't know everything that was going on. But it appears as if Will Smith thought the joke was funny and then looked at his wife and thought, she doesn't think this is funny. So I no longer think this is funny. And a lot of people are saying things about that and, and everything, but what I wanted to point out about that specific thing, there are two things in this scenario I want to point out, but this first thing that I want to point out is that we as humans have a way of doing this. We have a way of formulating opinions, thoughts, and ideas, but then when we look at someone else, immediately thinking, oh, I shouldn't have thought that, I need to change my response. Now, sometimes that can be a good thing because it means that we're open to change. It means that we're open to seeing things differently. But sometimes, and we know this as well, that can be a little bit destructive because we're allowing people to tell us how to think instead of thinking for ourselves. How often do we do this with something on social media? Like maybe you heard about something that happened in the world and you think, oh, this is my opinion on it. And and then all of a sudden you go to social media and you see that your favorite social media, you see your favorite media outlet does not feel the way that you feel about it. And you think, oh, they're enraged. So now I have to be enraged because that's how I should feel right now. And we allow other people to think for us. Come on, has somebody been there before? Like you had already formulated how you feel, but then you see your favorite influencer or your favorite media outlet thinks differently and you think, oh, I should think differently about this right now. Like we do this as humans. We love to just, uh, we, I have my thing. Oh, wait, this is how I should be thinking about this. 
and we sometimes allow other people to do the thinking for us. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not getting into the dynamics of Will and Jada's marriage. I'm just more so getting into the dynamics of how we interact with thoughts and ideas. And instead of always processing what all is happening here, we just immediately say, oh, they feel that way? Well, that's how I need to feel now. This happens on Palm Sunday. Things moved a little slower back then. People didn't react as quickly. But on Palm Sunday, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. People are celebrating him. Luke 19 says they're yelling, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. People are excited for Jesus. But then just days later, where are these people? He's alone. He's isolated on this journey to the cross. And they've forgotten about Jesus. And they're moving on because the narrative of what was going on around them told them, hey, you actually, you actually shouldn't be following this Jesus guy. And so people who were celebrating him are now away from him because somebody else told them what they should think about this. Somebody else told them, here's what you should think about Jesus, even though you know this other thing to be true. We as humans love to do this. We have our reactions changed so quickly. And I I just want to talk more specifically about where you're at in life and where I'm at in life right now. But I want to ask this question. How easy is it for us to praise God, to praise him, and then life happens and we forget him? How easy was it for those who to celebrate Jesus and then all of a sudden things got difficult and they forgot about him? What I want us to continue to see today as we move and journey towards the cross is that when life happens, Jesus doesn't have to be the first one we forget, but he can actually be the first one who we run to. That he's the first one that we can turn to. But it's so easy to think, oh, I'm just going to get away. I'm going to go do that. Well, you know, other people aren't going in that direction, so I'm just going to think this way instead. Here's the second thing that made me think of this whole week of Easter and leading up to everything that happened with the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing is Will Smith saw that his, his wife was bothered or hurt. And he's apologized for it since, by the way. Then he walks on stage and slaps Chris Rock. And there's so, oh, you know, this and that and all these opinions. But how often do we as humans do a similar thing? that we think that the best way to respond to pain is to bring more pain to the situation. That we think that the best way to respond to darkness is to make the situation darker. Or some people would say the best way to do that is just to fight fire with fire. That when we are at a low moment and we experience pain, we think the best way is to just get back at them. The best way is to, yeah, there's pain here. Well, I'm gonna bring even more pain to this circumstance. How many of us, we've actually been there before and we think, oh, the best way to respond is to just bring more pain. When we journey with Jesus to the cross and we watch closely as we're gonna do today, the process that he went through from all the, leading up to the crucifixion, the pain that Jesus experienced, he never makes a decision to fight pain by bringing more pain. And he could have. He never makes a decision to fight darkness by bringing more darkness to it. We're going to talk about that later on in the message as well, but maybe a helpful question for us to ask on that point would be this. 
How easy is it for us to allow fear, rage, and pain to overtake our reactions? How easy is it for us? Maybe ask yourself, how easy is it for me to allow fear, rage, or pain to overtake my reactions? And as we journey with Jesus today, we will see that there's actually another option. That we, if we turn to him first, he gives us another option. If we don't forget him, but turn to him, he gives us another option. We don't have to respond with fear, anger, or pain to a situation that is filled with pain. But there's another way. But before we get to that journey, I want to highlight a verse in Hebrews 4.15, because this is really going to get us started. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. This is, this is unbelievable that Jesus became a human and he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. That, and yet when he was in the lowest moment, when he was in a moment of full weakness that he who knew no sin became sin, when he's in that moment, he doesn't choose to retaliate or react by bringing more pain or more darkness to it. So then, how do we, in our low moments, not respond with pain and anger and fear? How do we choose a different option? And so, what I want us to do is look at three elements of what Jesus experienced on his journey to the cross. And I believe these are things that all of us have experienced before. And there are things that some of you might actually be experiencing right now. And when we experience these three things, it's very easy to start to think, I'm going to bring some more pain to this. I'm going to bring some more anger to this. I'm going to get them back. But as we journey with Jesus, we will start to see that there's another option. And not only does he show us another option, but because he can sympathize with us, he's been there before. So he doesn't just say, hey, go do this. He said, I've actually shown you the way to go. I've shown you another way. And he feels with us in those moments. So the first thing that we see Jesus experience on his journey to the cross is stress. Stress. Anybody here said over the past two weeks at one point in time, I'm tired or I'm stressed? And when you said, I'm tired, what you really wanted to say was, I'm stressed. Anybody, anybody been there the past couple of weeks? I'm stressed. I don't know, you're stressed about something specific in your life. We had one honest person over here raise their hand. So thank you for that, for being vulnerable. But, but some of us, you've been stressed. Stress is real. And as Jesus is journeying to the cross, and he knows what it is that he's about to face, he experiences great stress. Look at this in Luke chapter 22. He's away praying and he's saying, Father, if you were willing, remove this cup from me. Take this away. If you were willing, if you were able, God, take, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. This is the great stress he's feeling. He's feeling such great stress that an angel from the Lord comes to strengthen him. And in being in agony, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Such great stress because he knew what he was about to face, that his sweat was like drops of blood. I looked this up. This is a real medical condition where you can become so stressed that your sweat becomes like drops of blood. And I can't remember the name for the condition because I'm not Dr. Dave Martinke. And if he would have been speaking, he would have been able to tell you all about it like he did with the eyeball last week. I was like, whoa, that was a lot of stuff right there. But anyways, you know, uh, but, but, but the blood, you can become so stressed that it becomes like drops of blood. And this is what Jesus is experiencing. 
think about that for just a moment. That when you choose to give your life to Jesus, it's not just about this, oh, I, you know, yes, we have this beautiful hope of eternal life, but you are choosing to then live life with the one who has been to the space that you've been before. That stress that you're feeling about that difficult conversation coming up that you know you don't want to have, but you know you need to have. He's felt that stress before. That stress that you've had about your current job status. I don't know what's going to happen. He can feel that with you. That stress that you're having about the stressful and strenuous family relationship. And you got to see that family member because Easter is next week. What are we going to do about that? I don't know. Should we just not say anything? Should we say something? I don't know. I don't know. What are we going to do? Are they coming? Are they not coming? I don't know. I don't know if I even want to ask if they're coming to the gathering because if I ask and I know that they're coming, then I'm going to get even more stressed. But if I don't know, maybe I can just be surprised and I'll feel better about it. You know, stressed about that. So many things in life, stressed about family stuff, work stuff, all of these things in our life. Stress is real. Shoot straight with you. I was so stressed about something last night, not related to news story, that I didn't really sleep very well last night because we've all been there. We've all experienced stress. But we have a savior, Jesus Christ, who he can sympathize with us in that moment. He's been there before. And he begins to show us another way to handle it. But the second element I want us to to see that Jesus experienced was betrayal. Betrayal. When Jesus started his ministry, he picked up a group of 12 guys and he's like, hey, come follow me and be my disciples. Fishermen, tax collectors, an interesting crew. None of them had like great qualifications or anything, but he said, hey, come with me and uh, we're going to change the world together. And I, I bet you they had a lot, of, a lot of fun together too. Like in the gospels, all the writers are on a mission to let you know about who Jesus was and what he did. So you read about his teaching and his healing and the way he equipped his disciples. But these guys lived life together for three years. I bet they were joking around, but they were occasionally, you know, like shoving each other or whatever, just doing stupid stuff together because they were friends. They were living life together. And yet one of these friends, after three years, Judas decides to betray Jesus. Now, some people say, oh, Judas betrayed Jesus because he thought that if he betrayed Jesus, it would force Jesus to display his power. Maybe some people say, oh, Judas betrayed Jesus because he was greedy and jealous. We don't know all the the reasons or motives why, but Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He went to these uh, religious leaders who wanted to have Jesus killed and he said, hey, here's where you can find him. Give me the silver. A man who had lived life with Jesus, walked closely with him, decides in that moment to betray him. And look at the scenario in Luke chapter 22. While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came and the one called Judas, one of the 12, was preceding them and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Have you ever confronted somebody before who betrayed you? And then they tried to downplay it like it wasn't that big of a deal? Oh, you know, I was just trying to, I don't care what you were just trying to do. You betrayed, it hurt. I feel like Judas trying to kiss Jesus, this friendly kiss. There's also, hey, it's not that, yes, it's a big deal. Do you realize what I'm about to go through, Judas, because of this? Have you had this habit? Betrayal hurts. Betrayal is painful. I had people in my life, close friends, so, someone I felt like multiple occasions, I stuck my neck out for this person. I, you know, I did things, you know, I tried to help them. And then when things got difficult and I was like, hey, can you, can you stick your neck out? Can you help me? I need your help right now. It was like, no, 
And it wasn't just a no, it was almost like flipping the narrative. And betrayal hurts. It's painful. And if you've been betrayed, legit betrayed one time, you start to wonder, do I even want to have any human relationships now? Because it is so painful. Well, most of us, if you've been betrayed once, you'll go try, some, you know, you'll go try to build some good friendships again. And if you're betrayed twice or three times, what I become so discouraged by is I talk with people, you know what, I'm, I hear this so often when people are saying, you know what, I'm done with people. And I know I've addressed this before, but I just, it's just something I hear so often and I get it. It's easy to think I'm done with people, but because betrayal hurts, it's painful. But what if Jesus, after he came back from the dead, said, you know what, guys, here's the deal. I'm done with humanity because Judas betrayed me. So I'm going to ascend into heaven. No Holy Spirit for any of you. I'm holding him back. You don't get him because one of you betrayed me. I've had enough. What if Jesus would have done that? Or what if the disciples would have said, yeah, you know, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit and I get that he's supposed to be able to change people. But you know what? After Judas betrayed us, I think it'd be better off if we just didn't do anything. I think it'd be better off if we just, if we just, you know, because that Judas guy, he was a bad seed. And, you know, one bad seed can corrupt the whole group. So we are done. We're done. We don't want that to happen again. But they didn't. Jesus chose to continue to entrust humanity with his mission to bring life and the gospel and the kingdom of God to all people. The disciples then made a decision to continue to trust one another, even though one of them had betrayed them before. And it started this beautiful movement called the church that we are still a part of 2,000 years later. Why did that happen? Because they didn't allow Judas to have authority over their lives. They instead decided to live under the authority of Jesus. When you get to a point where you stop trusting other people because one or two or three or four or five or six or seven or 10 or however many people betrayed you, what you're saying is I'm living under the authority of Judas instead of living under the authority of Jesus. And you're giving that person or that group or those people the authority that they wanted to have in your life when they chose to betray you. But today's the day that we had to say, I'm stepping out of that. I'm gonna live under the authority of Jesus, which means sometimes misunderstanding's still gonna come. Sometimes difficulties are still gonna happen. But you know what? Since Jesus has entrusted me and I know that I can screw things up, I'm going to choose to trust others. Let's not be defined by betrayal, but instead be defined by Christ who continues to entrust us time and time again, which means that we have to entrust others and build one another up. Betrayal hurts. It can take a healing process. It can take time to get back in the game. I get all of that. But let's not be people who live under the authority of the one who betrayed us. Instead, let's be people who live under the authority of Jesus. The third element of Jesus's journey to the cross, rejection. Betrayal and rejection typically go hand in hand. Rejection, betrayal, betrayal, rejection, and betrayal and rejection, what do they do? They make you stressed. All of these things build on one another. And as Jesus is journeying to the cross, he experiences rejection, not just from the crowd. Remember the crowd? Remember the crowd on Sunday? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Where are you guys now? Where'd you go? But not only that, Jesus was rejected by one of his closest friends and he was rejected by the people who should have known who he was. The people who should have known better than anybody else. So the, the first one I wanna highlight is Peter. Peter looked at Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, I'm with you, you know, 
I'm with you on this thing. And Jesus said, Pete, here's the deal. Um, you're going to deny me three times before a rooster crows. And Peter's, oh, no, that, that would never happen, Jesus. Well, sure enough, I mean, Jesus, he is God, so he knew it was going to happen. So um, he's, he's, Peter ends up, he's in these, he denies Jesus twice. And then I want to pick up on the third occasion where he denies Jesus right before the rooster crows. Luke chapter 22 says this, after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist saying, certainly this man also was with him for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. What's so powerful to me about this is the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Jesus had every, every reason in this moment just to be thinking about Jesus. He had been beaten, rejected, isolated. But in that moment where it's just like, this is painful, this hurts. He looks at Peter. Just a reminder for us, Peter may have forgotten about Jesus, but Jesus will never forget about him. And you may have had moments where you feel like, oh, I've forgotten about God, but he's never forgotten about you. He's never taken his eyes off of you. So even if you're here today and you're like, I feel like I've rejected him before, he has not and he will not reject you. He loves you and he sees you. Now, some people love to get on the bandwagon of let's make fun of Peter. And I get it. It's kind of fun to make fun of Peter sometimes. But people get really critical of Peter. Oh, Peter, I hear people say, Peter's dumb. Peter's an idiot. Okay, listen, let's get this out there. I don't know if any of us are doing much better than Peter if we're in this circumstance. Okay. But I do think that if Peter were here today, he would want us to look back on his life and learn from him. That he would want us to learn from even his mistakes. And it's easy to think, oh, Peter just rejected Jesus and move on. But there, there's something to be learned in this story as well, that when we choose to reject those who are being hurt, when we choose to reject those who are being abused or neglected, when we choose to reject them, we are then actually opening up the door for other people to continue to hurt them. N.T. Wright describes it this way, New Testament scholar. He said, Peter's weakness, the guards bullying, the court's perversion of justice, all this and much more put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't just a theological transaction. It was real sin, real human folly and rebellion, the dehumanized humanity that has lost its way and spat in God's face. Look at that progression. Peter's weakness, the guards bullying, the court's perversion. I bet if Peter would look back on his life, he would love to be able to say, man, I wish my weakness would not have added to that moment. And I think he would say that in humility and want us to learn from that. But you see, what happens is, is when we as the church choose to remain silent about people who are being hurt or oppressed or neglected or abused, when that rejection, what we're doing is we're actually opening up the door for more nefarious characters to get along with the agenda that they already have in place. And I think Peter would want us to look at this moment and say to us, church, we have to stand up. We have to be the voice that stands up for others. We have to be the people who boldly and courageously speak out. We have to be the people who stand in the gap. And we have to be the people who say, if some somebody is rejected or hurt or broken or has been pushed away, we are those who stand up for them and we stand with them because we are the people who by the power of the Holy Spirit have been given boldness and courage to bring healing to these circumstances. Now, I don't know 
I don't know if, if Peter would have spoken up. Would he have caused a revolution? I don't know. But so often we think, oh, I'm not going to say something because I don't want to, ro- you know, I don't want to rock the boat too much, or I'm not going to say something because, uh, you know, would it really even make a difference? You never know. One person speak up, speaking up could change two people, three people, four people. You never know the influence that God has given you. And if we as the church would speak up and we know that we're supposed to speak up, who knows what God would start doing in the world? We would start seeing incredible things happening. People finding life who had not yet found life or heard of life before. People knowing that God is fighting for them who've never heard the message of Christ's great love for them, if we would start to become the people who say, we are going to stand up for those and not reject or not act like it's not going on, we are going to speak up and we are going to do something because just as Christ in the crucifixion jumps into the mess so that we can be rescued, we now as the church follow in his example and we jump into the mess so that other people can experience what it feels like to be rescued and free and have hope and life. That's what I believe Peter would want us to learn and see from this moment. But then Jesus is rejected by those who should have known who he was as well. He was rejected by the religious leaders. And these were the religious elite. They knew the scriptures. They should, and Jesus said, hey, the law and the prophets, they talk about me. They speak of me. So if there's anybody who should have seen Jesus, this explains a lot because don't some of you, like let's just the insider talk right now, don't some of you know some people who go to church and have been going to church their entire life, but their life doesn't look anything like Jesus. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I'm just talking about, you know, you know some people, you're like, you go to church, you're kind of a jerk. You know, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about? We all know these people. We can, we can talk and hopefully you're not that person. If you are that person, stop being a jerk. But, but we, we know like, and what I love about this is it's a reminder to us that it's not, it's not all about everything you know. It's about a transformation. It's about the kingdom of God being at work within our hearts and minds because these guys, they knew everything. They knew the scriptures that spoke of Jesus, yet they missed out on who he was and they rejected him. And they ultimately ended up turning Jesus over to their enemies, the Romans. How badly do you have to be missing it to say, I so badly don't want this, I'm turning you over to my enemies. Luke 23 says this, And the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. They didn't want to pay taxes to Caesar either. Like this is, and and saying that he himself is Christ, the king. We we saw that they, they got so infuriated. The people who should have known who he was rejected him and handed him over to their enemies. On the journey to the cross, Jesus experiences stress, betrayal, and rejection. Some of you are feeling one of those things or all three of them right now, or you felt them before. And we begin to wonder as those things are at work within our lives, how do I respond? Who am I becoming? What should I do? And Jesus begins to show us another way. Because when Jesus is at his lowest moment, when he's experienced almost the fullness of this stress, rejection, and betrayal, when he's on a cross, some guys next to him decide to start up a conversation with him. And I was just so inspired by how Jesus responds here in Luke chapter 23. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. This guy's saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, And rebuking him said, do you not even fear God since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? 
Are we in, and we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. This guy looks and says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus says this, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus at his lowest moment, isolated, rejected, physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, doesn't look at this guy and say, hey man, would you just stop asking me questions right now? I'm in pain. <laughs> he looks at him and says, surely you will be with me in paradise. The promise of paradise is a promise that exists above the stress. It exists above the betrayal. It exists above the rejection. That I believe what we begin to see in this story, that even in our lowest moments, the way to start to gain life back is not to fight fire with fire or pain with pain, but to say, God, you have me in this moment for a reason. And there's still a promise of paradise that is over all of those things. And so I don't feel like I have much left right now, but I'm still going to choose to give because that's the way of Jesus. And Jesus demonstrates that even in our lowest moments, God has placed something within us that we can still give to others, that there's a promise of paradise for us to rest in, and there's a promise of paradise for us to give to others. And that low moment, that darkness, that fear that seems to be overcoming you right now, that's the enemy trying to convince you that you have nothing left to give. Or maybe it's just your flesh trying to convince you, you have nothing left to give, just stay over here. But God wants you to see that by the power of his Holy Spirit, he has placed something in you. And there's a promise of paradise, not just for you to rest in, but for you to give to others. That the way out, the way out of the dark place is not to bring more darkness. The way out of the darkness is to know that there's a light that has been placed within me that can never be extinguished. And it's not just for me, but it's for others. And the way out is through gratitude and thankfulness and saying, God, you have me here for a reason. And I know that it, the way out is to give. The way out is to bring hope. The way out is to say, I am going to give even though I don't see anything that I have to give right now, because God, I know you have placed something inside of me to give to others. That's the promise of paradise. When we journey with Jesus and we see stress, betrayal, and rejection, I don't think that Jesus faced those things so that we would never have to, because we clearly face them as we live our lives. I believe that Jesus faced stress, betrayal, and rejection so that they would never have to master you. Jesus faced stress, betrayal, and rejection so that they would never have to master you. They don't have to lord over your life because when, they, when you are faced with them, we have a savior who can sympathize with you in that space and he has demonstrated for us how we can respond. Then instead of being convinced that you have nothing left to give, you can say, no, I have something to give because he is with me and he's been through this and he's demonstrated how resurrection and life always wins the day. So as we're moving forward and we're journeying to the cross, as you are considering those moments in your life where you're just stressed out, I don't know if I can keep going, where you've been betrayed, I'm done with people, where you've been rejected, now I'm really done with people. I want you to experience freedom today that those things don't have to master you, but you can live under the authority of the one who is the master of all things. And he's been in that space with you 
and he's shown you a way out. You still have value. You still have something to give. And there's a value that you can bring to the place that you're in right now.